0: Welcome to Talking Mopar's episode number 113. You know, I often get funny looks when I tell people that I actually own a boogie van, and that I grew up in and around a boogie van, and that I think that boogie vans are really, really cool. Even when the average person, including Mopar enthusiasts, think that they are total creep mobiles. So hopefully, by shedding some light on the van craze, you'll understand why I love vans so much and the vanning culture two percenters feel free to set this one out because if you are a true two percenter this should all be common knowledge and for the rest of you i hope that i'll have you all trying to hunt down a van project of your own after listening to this episode so without further ado if you are a mopar enthusiast then you are in the right place don't go anywhere you're tuned into the best mopar enthusiast driven podcast on planet earth and i'm your host chris albrecht better known as the mopar hunter and this is talking mopars <laughs> You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. A few people have asked me why I'm so obsessed with vans, and I've explained this many times over the course of this show, but if you want to know my personal history, then go ahead and head back to episode number nine. That's where I tell my personal Mopar story. And if you go to episode number 59, you're going to hear me talk Mopars with my dad. And in that episode, we talk about his van. Um, I grew up around it. It was a 1975 Dodge B100 tradesman that my dad bought brand new in 1975 as a bare bones cargo van. He traded in his dart for it and he completely customized it himself. I love that van. And I tried to hunt it down and figure out what happened to it, but I came up empty-handed. I reached out to as many far-reaching vanners as I could with all the pictures that I have of it, and nobody could tell me where it ended up. And I hate to say it, but I'm pretty sure it was scrapped sometime back in the 90s after my uncle sold it to a kid who ended up getting into a wreck um, with the van from what I understand because my dad actually sold his van to my uncle. My uncle had it for a long time, um, but uh, he actually traveled across the country with it. Um, It's a pretty funny story. Uh, Unfortunately, my uncle isn't around to tell us that story, but um, he told me a story. I guess he had a shotgun, right? And like I said, he traveled the United States, and he was in Washington, D.C., and somehow, I, I don't know how true this story is, but I have no reason to believe that my uncle was lying about it. He told me that he took a wrong turn and ended up somewhere around White House property. And he got stopped by security. And he's in this big black van with, you know, only one big back window. The rest of it was it was a cargo van. So it was, it was panel. And, um, you know, they questioned him a little bit. And I just I, I think it would be funny <laughs> to rewind time. And see my uncle drive up to the White House in this fully customized, blacked out, you know, murdered out van. And uh, to see the look on those security guards' faces, that would have been pretty funny. And I couldn't even imagine my uncle. He's probably stoned. And he's got this shotgun in the back. So that that was a pretty funny story, I thought. But if, uh, if you want to hear um, some stories... You know, my personal Mopar history, go back and listen to episode number nine. That's where I tell you my Mopar stories and, you know, how I got to this point now. And in episode number 59, I talk Mopars with my dad and he actually talks about the van a little bit. So it was a really fun episode and I'm glad I got to do it with him. Um, If you want to hear about my current shitbox van project, go check out number 78. That's episode number 78. And I talk all about it on that show. Um, but let's get into the history of vanning. The history of vanning is pretty straightforward and is you know, it's a relatively easy story to tell. Automotive culture has many subcultures. You know, we got tuners, low riders, muscle cars, mini trucks, uh, you know, wheelers, you know, the off-road trucks and SUVs and, and the list goes on, you know, one subculture that I'm particularly fond of is vanning and custom vans. Vanning was essentially born out of the surf culture of Southern California, and some will argue that surfing is more of a religion than a sport, but one thing is for certain, and that's that surfing is a way of life for those immersed in that culture, and those who live and breathe surfing, you know, they live life like it's an endless summer, (laughs) you know, the beach bums is what they call them, but Vanning was actually born out of surfing, and how was it born out of surfing? Well, It starts long before the existence of Mopar vans, which we will be diving into here in a little bit. As many of you probably already know, early surfers in the 40s and 50s primarily used the woody wagons to get around. And you know the woody wagons. They're the station wagons with the wood paneling on the side. They could haul stuff and they could haul people very easily. And depending on, you know, on who you asked, they looked really cool. Every time I see a woody at a show, you know, they always grab my attention because they're just so unique. But, um... At the time, manufacturers were also producing panel trucks intended for hauling cargo and, you know, making deliveries. And those were also starting to be utilized by surfers. Um, So you had the woodies and the panel trucks and then the VW buses came into play and they, you know, became super popular among the surfer community and undeniably had a huge influence on what would later become the automotive subculture of vanning. Credit for the first cargo van can actually be given to Ford, with Chevy coming in a close second, and last of the big three to test the van waters was Dodge in 1964 with the awesome A100s. We'll be talking about Dodge vans more in a little bit once we cover the history of vanning, so sit tight. As 1970 approached, vans were full steam ahead and surging in popularity, um... You had young guys returning home from Vietnam, and the vans were the perfect alternative for the people that couldn't afford you know, a street rod or a hot rod, or folks that simply just didn't want to fall in line with what everybody else was doing. They wanted to be different, and they still wanted to have the ability to thoroughly customize their mode of transportation to suit their lifestyle. You know, If you're an automotive enthusiast, chances are you can't leave well enough alone. You don't like stock vehicles. And you want to customize. Um, and Vans offered that variety. And some say that, you know, variety is the spice of life. But Vans offered the unique ability to be built and customized for a variety of purposes and lifestyles. And were definitely a unique way for someone to express their own personal creativity, you know, and their individuality. As the trend of vanning grew, the Vanners started to come together and form clubs. And the first of those clubs was um, associated vans out of Southern California towards the late 60s. And by the time the 70s rolled around, van clubs had started to form all over the United States and Canada, and vanning was in full swing. So once you had these clubs starting to form, uh, large gatherings of vanners started to emerge. And these gatherings ended up becoming what would be known as van runs, or truck-ins, van-ins, and as I would come to know them in the 80s, uh, I knew them as van fairs. Um, These gatherings were basically giant parties for vanners that included all sorts of fun activities, some family-friendly and some not. This was the 70s, <laughs> um, so you can imagine what was happening. But these gatherings would also become popular for the large number of fully customized vans that would show up to not only party and have a good time, but to show off their rolling works of art. And you know what I'm talking about. The custom paint jobs with the murals on the side of the vans, the wild custom interiors, the bubble windows, the raked out stances, the sunroofs, and, you know, even wilder modifications. People were chopping tops. People were adding extra rear axles. Um, You know, vanning is one of those things where you can take a, a cargo van and turn it into a rolling nightclub, (laughs) you know what I'm saying, I've seen custom interiors that had stripper poles, full bars, Uh, you know, you look in some of these vans, and they look like a booth at a nightclub, (laughs) you know what I mean, it's crazy, but um, with these gatherings, you know, at first, they were basically just hangouts with fellow vanners, and as time went on, and the popularity surged, these events became very structured annual gatherings, and When the muscle cars started dying off due to uh, the raising insurance rates and the gas crisis, you know, it's no wonder vanning took off and became such a craze, you know, and of course we can't talk about vanning culture without mentioning the owners of these vans giving names to them and following specific themes, you know, a lot of guys would have their van name, you know, plastered on the side of their van and, you know, the name of the van and the theme incorporated into the custom paint jobs. And who can forget the CB radios? You know, I can't remember growing up uh, seeing a van that didn't have one, (laughs) you know, except for the one I have now, but it's going to get a CB radio at some point, you know, being a truck driver, I find it sacrilege to have a van without a CB, but it was really fitting for him to have CB radios because in the 1970s, the manufacturers started putting the van bodies on truck chassis. And you know, vanners wanted to be considered truckers, and their vans considered trucks. But um, that's actually how the term truckin' was born, and um, as it pertains to vanning. And it even actually had a huge influence on the name of the magazine Truckin', which was launched in 1975 to cover the custom vans and trucks that were so popular at the time. Vanning was so popular that even magazines like the legendary Hot Rod magazine started to cover them, and with Terry Cook at the helm, even helped organize the first national event for vanners in July of 1973 with the Rocky Mountain Vans of Denver Van Club called the First National Truckin' at Tiger Run, Colorado. That first event was so popular that it would later become the annual National Truckin'. I know some of you probably have heard of a term in vanning called... 2% 2% or 2%er. You know, I, I knew this would come up, so I'm going to try to explain it the best that I can. I'm sure some hardcore 2%ers will probably have something to correct me on, but um, maybe you haven't heard of the term 2%er. Let me explain it to the best of my ability. When these van events started to become a thing, there was a movement within the vanning culture that believed that these events should stay as events by vanners for vanners. You know, they believed that as long as nothing and no one was hurt during these events, anything should be okay. You know, anything goes. Let's party. Let's have a good time. Vanners were known for outrageous parties at these events. And they wanted to avoid the commercialization, you know, of those events. And they really didn't want, you know, hardcore structure and organization. They wanted to keep vanning grassroots And not mainstream. They would go against the man. (laughs) You know what I mean? Hence the term two percenter. The two percenters were the ones who wanted to keep vanning pure. And the 98% wanted to commercialize it and organize these events with stricter rules and guidelines. And, you know, to be honest, I imagine if I had been involved in vanning during that golden era, I probably would have fallen under the two percenter category. Um, Lord knows I like to party. (laughs) But... um, While vanning continued to grow throughout the 70s and then you had the 80s come around, vanning slowly started to fizzle out with only the hardcore two percenters sticking around to even keep it alive. Van life now has taken on a whole new meaning with these younger generations. You know, even younger than me, I'm 36. Um, You've got these younger 20 somethings buying traditional vans as well as, you know, the newer high roof Sprinter vans for traveling and living these nomadic lifestyles, you know, lifestyle blogging and travel blogs and things like that. But let's rewind back to 1976 and talk about something that Dodge did that I think goes to show you how Dodges always seem to have their finger on the pulse of the enthusiast market, even today. Seeing the popularity of these custom vans back in the day, and the huge opportunity to capitalize on that popularity, Dodge launched a factory custom van that would allow for the owner to be able to customize their own van by ordering one custom from the factory. And included in that purchase was a street van customization kit that would help guide whoever bought the van, you know, the new owner in the customization process and inspire them with ideas for like graphic schemes and things like that. And that factory custom van would become a legend not only in vanning culture but in Mopar history and they called it the street van. The street van had a great run from 1976 until 1980. Um, and here's a fun fact. Did you know that in 1973, Mopar legend Mr. Norm noticed the popularity of vans? And being a Dodge dealer, you know he wanted to capitalize too. And with the muscle car era coming to an end, he capitalized on his concept of conversion vans. He even went as far as to open an entire department at Grand Spalding Dodge dedicated to vans alone. And in in that same year, in 1973, that was the year that Grand Spaulding would become the second largest Dodge dealer in the world for uh, sales volume. So, you know, that speaks volumes, you know, no pun intended, um, to how popular vanning was and how popular the trucks were. But the street van wouldn't be the only van to have a significant impact in the history of Mopars. The second van that would make a huge impact, and actually, you know what, (laughs) Let me rewind that. It's actually, it wouldn't be the second van. It would be the third van because before the street van, you had the A100s. I can't believe I, how can I, how can I have a podcast about vanning and not talk about the A100s? The Dodge A100s were introduced in 1964. And, you know, if you have an A100, everybody thinks it's a mystery machine. You know what I mean? And I, you know, I think that the Mopar vans, all deserve their own episode, you know, from the A-100s and the B-Series vans all the way to the third van that would make a huge impact um, in the history of Mopars. Um, And you really wouldn't even think about this particular van making, you know, a big impact on Mopar history, you know, considering their history of performance. But that van is closing in on its 40th year since its introduction in 1984. And that's the Dodge Caravan, (laughs) you know, as funny as that sounds. Um, gosh, I would venture to say that the Dodge Caravan is one of the highest selling Mopars of all time, (laughs) you know, and believe it or not, um, I don't know how much you guys know about Dodge Caravans, but in the 1980s, they actually produced a turbocharged model that could even be had with a five speed manual transmission, (laughs) you know, imagine that, you know, I think, I think they were eighties models, like late eighties, maybe, maybe early nineties. Um. I would have to do some more research on that. I, th- I think, I think it's early '90s, late '80s or early '90s. They had a Dodge Caravan that you could get a 2.5, uh, four-cylinder turbo, and uh, you know, make that to a five-speed manual transmission, and you basically have a Dodge Daytona with a van body. But um, that's that's definitely another fun topic that we should talk about is uh, those vans and uh, you know front-wheel drive turbo Mopars in general because I'm a huge fan. I know a lot of you that know me on a personal level know that. Um, And I've been wanting to do an episode on the front-wheel drive turbo Mopars for a long time. So that's definitely going to be happening sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, that's pretty much, you know, if I wanted to sum up vanning and van culture, that's pretty much how I could do it. Um, There's really not much to it, you know. People wanted to be individualistic. And vans offered, you know, A really good blank canvas. And, you know, with the party culture, (laughs) what better than a van? You know, you can do all sorts of fun stuff in vans, right? (laughs) Um, But uh, I think that's, I think we can end it there Um, as far as the history of vanning and, you know, a little bit of fun um, history of the Mopar vans, you know, including the street van, which is my favorite van of all time. Um, It's actually, if you're a supporter of the podcast, um, bonus episode number two, which is coming out very soon, talks about the street van because it made it to my top 10 list of Mopars that I'd like to own someday. So if you're a supporter on Facebook, you'll get that bonus episode where I go a little bit more in depth um, into the street van. So that'll be available pretty soon for all the supporters of the podcast through Facebook, um, but you know, if you want to learn more about the street van, just Google street van, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fun information. Um, I've actually tried to hunt down one of the street van customization kits and man, it's like trying to find the Holy grail. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, hopefully someday I can run across one. Cause I would love to get the templates because the, the box that you got when you bought a street van, you know, the street van customization kit, um, Came with templates for the walls, the doors, the floor. Um, really helpful if you're building a van, which is what I'm doing. When I pulled all the interior out of the van that I have, I made all the templates out of the panels that I, uh, I salvaged out of the van. Um, I ended up tossing them, but uh, I do still have the templates so that it'll make my life a little bit easier when I go to make door panels and stuff. So I guess that's it for today. Thanks for joining me, friends. I hope you learned a little something about vanning. And who knows, maybe when this episode is over, you will actually go on the hunt to find a boogie van project of your own. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about this podcast, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your Mopar stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Or you can leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at two zero nine twenty eight mopar to hear yourself on the show. If you want to help support Talking Mopars, you can pick up some cool merchandise in the Talking Mopars merch shop. There, you can order products like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. Another way to help support the show is by becoming a supporter on the Talking Mopars Facebook page. By becoming a supporter on Facebook, you will get access to exclusive bonus content, and you will be entered into our monthly supporter giveaway, where you will get a chance to win something fun related to Mopars. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.